Morning, Acacia Reformed. It's always a pleasure to be here and share God's Word with you. I was reminded with the New Horizons, with seeing all the church planters, I can remember 20 plus years ago being the church planter at Percival, at Catoctin Covenant, and seeing myself, my dear wife, and a few others on the page. And in all my 20 years, I've never seen so many on this page. The Lord is being faithful to build His church to storm the gates of hell. And let's rejoice and continue to pray and to be thankful uh, for uh, this wonderful uh, work that the Lord is doing through the Lord Jesus by the power of His Holy Spirit. Well, this is an exciting day. It's the day we've been praying for, the ordination of Stephen Mooring. And I thought it would be appropriate to look together in the letter to the Hebrews. So if you have your Bibles, let's turn to Hebrews. We'll read Hebrews 13, verses 1 through 8, and then I'll read verses 17 through 21. This is a sermon entitled, as you'll see from verse 1, Let Brotherly Love Continue. This is our constant prayer as a regional church, as a larger church, specifically as uh, those who are praying for you as a congregation, that others within and without will see your love that you have for one another. Because in seeing your love for one another, people are seeing the love that God has gripped and grasped you with in Christ. Because it's only as we're gripped and grasped by the faithful love of God in Christ are we transformed into loving people where we show uh, peace and when we show forgiveness and when we demonstrate uh, an earnestness for reconciliation and for prayer and for ongoing service to one another. So it's being gripped by God's love. We want to remember the larger teaching of Hebrews. Before we jump into this passage, we're at the end of the book of Hebrews. Remember, the one thing that the author has been putting before us as central is that the Lord Jesus has sat down at God's right hand as the enthroned majesty on high, as was promised in the Old Covenant, and as was the purpose and plan of God before the ages, that Christ Jesus, after accomplishing His perfect work as Messiah, would sit down at God's right hand. He repeats this over and over. He sat down. He sat down. He sat down. So as we're looking at this passage, let us not forget the point the author's been making. Jesus is enthroned at God's right hand, full of grace and power and mercy and the Holy Spirit to help His people. So let's pray to Him right now as the one enthroned and ascended, the one who is at God's right hand, full of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray for the illumination of the Holy Spirit as we read the Word. Our Father and our God, we thank You that You're the true God, the self-contained God, the self-existent God, the self-sufficient God, the true God, the triune God. We thank You that You have purposed and planned before the ages to be the God to Your people, to be uh, the perfect God who dwells with the perfected people in a perfected world 
through a perfect mediator, your own beloved Son. And we thank you as we gather here today, as we await the coming of the Lord Jesus, we look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at your right hand as was promised to your son according to your great covenantal purpose and plan that was revealed to the Old Testament saints in Psalm 2 and Psalm 110. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are our enthroned priest king. According to the order of Melchizedek, you are our prophet. We thank you that you would now, by your Holy Spirit, illuminate our hearts and our minds, uh, open our ears to hear, our hearts to receive, our minds to understand, we pray that you would lift us up to heaven to continue that worship of you, the living Christ, at Mount Zion that we do not see yet, but we love. And one day we will see face to face and be like you. Until then, give us eyes to faith. Give us eyes of faith. Give us ears to hear and do a work in us. Help your servant to decrease, that you may increase, that you would be glorified. Your people would be taught and trained and transformed. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This is God's holy, infallible, inspired word. Reading from Hebrews 13, beginning in verse 1 through verse 8. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated, since you also are in the body, let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Keep your life free from love of money, and be content with what you have, for he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you, so we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Now, looking down at uh, verse 17 now, beloved, reading through verse 21. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Pray for us. For we are sure that we have a clear conscience, desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good, that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. And all of God's people responded with a resounding Amen. God's word.
Beloved Edacacia, as uh, we begin this new chapter of having the Lord Jesus, the enthroned, ascended, uh, spirit-filled King, as He provides another gift to our church, He's provided church planters, He's provided church planter in John Paul Holloway, and now the King is equipping the saints with an elder, the first elder, Stephen Mooring, and we're grateful for that. And this morning we want to be reminded of Ephesians 4, 11 through 16 that says the enthroned ascended king full of the spirit is the one who gifts his church with elders to equip the saints for works of service that the body of Christ might be built up and that we might grow into maturity. And that's what's happening today. And as I prayed about the message for you today, I thought that it would be good, by God's grace, to focus our attention in this new chapter where God has provided this new elder by looking at chapter 13 in various verses, but particularly in verses 20 and 21. Look with me again at verses 20 and 21. It's a benediction. And it is the gospel in a nutshell. The gospel in Nuke. It's the gospel in summary. In fact, it's everything that the author, the inspired author of Hebrews, has preached about in his word of exhortation up to this point. And it is the power. It is the grace. It is the truth that will give us fuel and motivate us to do what verse 1 says. Letting brotherly love continue. We can't let brotherly love continue uh, as an imperative, as a command, without remembering constantly the gospel. And so we go to this benediction, this literal good word from God. And I want you, as a congregation, to consider this with me in a few points. I want you to consider meditating on it with me. I want you to consider praying it with me and for yourself and for one another. Because let me summarize what I'll draw forth from this with one theme, one prayer, if you will, in Hebrews 13, 20 and 21, is how will Acacia Reformed continue in brotherly love from this time forward? Through eager peacemaking, through extravagant forgiving, uh, through expectant growing and that through earnest faith and prayer in the risen enthroned Christ. And so I want you to look first at this verse 20 how it begins describing our God as the God of peace. Now a benediction is a good word that believers are to receive, they're to meditate on, they're to believe, and they're to walk in this benediction. You remember, the author of Hebrews has shown us that the Lord Jesus is the great high priest at God's right hand, the priest king according to the order of Melchizedek, full of the Holy Spirit. And so as he has risen and he has ascended, so it's proper for the priest king to give a benediction, to give a good word to his church. 
And this is the literal meaning of benediction, a good word. And it's because your priest king took the bad word. He took the malediction. He took the curse of God upon himself so that he could come out as the risen, ascended, enthroned, spirit-filled king and say to you, peace from God. And so the first thing you want to remember is that God has sought you to make peace with you, to reconcile you to himself, to justify and declare you righteous and give you a right standing before him all through his beloved son, the Lord Jesus, his priest king who lived for you a perfectly obedient life in your place. Where you would fail to make peace with this God, He made peace with you. And we by nature, beloved, are at war with God. We think of war, we think of necessarily hatred of God. But our... Uh, War with God is much worse than just hatred. It is that we're indifferent to the true and triune living God who created us and sustains us and gives us every breath. We don't acknowledge Him as God. Worse than hatred is indifference. We as creatures don't even acknowledge Him, though we know enough that He exists, Romans 1 says. And furthermore, it's not just a warfare of hatred. It's more than that. It's indifference coupled with ingratitude for all that he's done. And this we're guilty for. The Bible tells us very clearly in Romans 1 that we're at war with God in failing to acknowledge him in every aspect of our lives. Failing to thank him for every wonderful gift that he's given. Being a... a a people of complaint and grumbling, even those in the church. Even today, even this week, we've demonstrated that in our hearts we're still, eh, to some degree, can prone to make war through indifference and ingratitude to the true and living God. And this God, he has brought peace. He said, peace, peace. To us who knew no peace. He said my peace I will give you. That will surpass any of your understanding. I'll guard your heart and mind with my peace. This is a shalom peace. This is a peace of the mind. It's a peace of the heart. It's knowing this peace. That ultimately we've been made right with God. That ultimately we are his beloved children. And he cares for us and loves us. And so what do we do? Beloved Acacia Reform. Be eager to be at peace with this God. Be eager to make peace and seek peace and pursue peace with one another and with the world. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Acacia, continue to be eager to be at peace with God, to recognize his peace that you have in Christ and to make that peace, to seek that peace when no one else wants that peace. Even to those who are indifferent, as the Bible says in the beginning of this chapter, offering even hospitality to strangers because you're one whom God has made peace with and you want to seek that peace. 
with strangers, to invite them in, to welcome them, to bring them into your family so that they may know this peace with God too. Beloved, the God of peace, who brought again from the dead, that shows he's not only a God of peace, he's a God of power. And with his power, we've never seen his infinite power on display. We will. It is coming. His wrath abides on those not at peace with God. His wrath has abide, abide, abided on us. <laughs> the past tense of abide. He has, it has been that wrath that has been on us. And because of Jesus taking that wrath upon himself on the cross, that wrath has subsided. That wrath has been satisfied completely. And now we have peace. But let us remember... He's the God of peace and power who uses his power now not against us, but for us. He's for us. If God be for you, who can be against you? So be eager for peacemaking. Be eager to use with all your strength and power through the gospel, through grace, to be a peacemaker, to seek peace. Whoever right now you need to seek peace with, make that phone call. Go up and do that hard talk, that sit down, whatever you need to do to glorify God through his peacemaking love. The second is, beloved of Acacia, let us remember not only to be eager in our peacemaking, to be extravagant in our forgiving. Why? Why should we be forgiving? Because it tells us that this God of peace through the blood of the eternal covenant, this God of peace through his power brought back Jesus from the dead, the great shepherd of the sheep. You remember the Lord Jesus' words. He said, greater love has no one than this, and I lay down my life for my sheep. I'm going to go for my sheep who have gone astray. I'm going to go for the sheep, as Isaiah 53, 6 says, that all we have gone our own way. Each has done his own thing. Each is full of selfishness and self-righteousness and self-focus, self-glory. And yet, the rest of Isaiah 53, 6 says, He has laid upon him the iniquity of us all through the blood of the eternal covenant. Blood. Not the blood of lambs and goats. That was something our Father offered graciously for a season. As a picture, as a shadow, as a type of the blood of His Son. That before the foundation of the world, there was an eternal counsel in the Godhead. Before, between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Father putting His affection and His love on a people where he'd be God to this people and be the perfect God to a perfected people living in a perfected world through a perfect mediator. And the son said, here am I, Father. I will go in the fullness of time and I will unite myself to their humanity and I will live and die and I will shed my precious blood for them so that they might be forgiven. The eternal covenant, the blood of the eternal covenant, that's blood that was part of the purpose of plan in God's mind and heart before the foundation of the world. Ephesians 1, 3 to 14 tells us more about that. But it's a love that was fixed upon us, though we needed much forgiveness. And this blood is not the blood of bulls and goats. This is the blood of the God-man, the very Son of God equal with the Father and the Spirit in power 
and glory and deity and gloriousness, beauty, divinity. And this one who was rich beyond all measure would become poor and humiliate himself, uniting himself in permanent, personal, hypostatic union to our humanity. One person with two natures. And he would live perfectly in our humanity as the last and final Adam. He would bring glory to God. He'd be faithful where Adam and us failed. He'd be faithful where Israel and we have failed. And he would be obedient even to death on a cross and shed that precious blood. And that blood was the blood of the person of the Son of God. No, God does not bleed. God is unchangeable. God is immutable, perfect, eternal. But in God's economy, this immutable, eternal God, the one who was the immutable, eternal God, became man and dwelt in our midst. And in that humanity that was united to that glorious, immutable Son, died and shed his precious blood. And that's the blood has bought you and I. That's the blood that cleanses sinners. That's the blood that purifies our heart. That's the blood that makes us white as snow. That's the blood of Jesus that we sing about when we sing, oh, the blood of Jesus, oh, the blood of Jesus, oh, the blood of Jesus, it makes me white as snow. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Nothing but the blood of Jesus makes me white as snow. Nothing in my hands. I cling simply to that cross that represents that center where the Son of God extended His hands in willing, joyful obedience on our behalf to glorify the Father and bring in salvation and forgiveness for a people. He laid down His life to shed once and for all to fully and finally save a people through precious blood. And that's the blood that tells you that you and I, who have put our trust in Christ, have a value beyond anything you can measure. Inestimable. And that's a hard word for a guy to say. It is unfathomable how much the Lord has put his affection and his love upon you by giving his own son That he loved you and gave himself for you. Can each of you say that? Because this, if we get this, if we, if we think about it, if we meditate, if we pray it, it will make us extravagant in our forgiveness. We'll hold no grudges. We'll think that's the strangest idea in the world for us to take offense when we've so offended the almighty and true God. That we'd be so forgiving because of the precious blood of Jesus that no one, by God's grace, no one would even offend us because we'd notice, we'd note if it was a true offense, it first offended God. And that, in a just and proper way, might make us gently and humbly, righteously angry and not selfishly. The blood of Jesus, who it is you need to forgive today. Who is it here? Who is it you need to call? Where is it you just need to say, he sat down, I need Jesus, please forgive me. Three words that truly can only come from a heart that understands that it was through the blood of the eternal covenant. 
three words that we cannot say very easily, men and women, please forgive me. I was wrong. I need Jesus. Let's be eager in our peacemaking and extravagant in our forgiving. It's costly. We know that because we see the cross. But remember what Jesus says. He says, count the cost when you follow me. Remember what he says to us, beloved. He says, when you come follow me, you're going to pick up a cross too. And in picking that cross up, you're to deny yourself and to pick up that cross daily and follow Jesus. May Acacia Reformed continue to be eager in peacemaking, extravagant in forgiving, and third, expectant in your growing. Expectant in your growing. He's not finished with any of us yet. We're all works in progress. He promises in Philippians 1.6 that he who began a good work in us will complete it. It's part of his purpose and plan. It's part of his salvation. If we're truly those in Christ, we may have some moments of stumbling. And we will. We'll have some backsliding to some degree. We'll make two steps forward and probably 15 steps back at times. We'll struggle with unbelief. But we will endure by faith to the end, keeping our eyes on Jesus, and we will grow because he promises we will. In fact, when we see the commands that he gives us in this larger passage, we can expect this growth because of the fact that Jesus is at God's right hand, full of grace and truth, full of the Holy Spirit for whatever need we have. And so when it says in the beginning, let brotherly love continue, we can be confident that we can grow in brotherly love. In chapter 13, verse 8, what does it say? It reminds you, remember the confidence we have. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Always full of mercy, always full of grace. Remember what we learned in Hebrews 4.16, one of our favorite verses, that we can boldly come to the throne of grace and receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Remember what it tells us here, that we can have confidence that the Lord is our helper. We shall never fear. What can man do to us that we can have that growth in brotherly love, that growth in knowing he's the same, he's the unchangeable Christ, full of grace and truth. He's the unchangeable Christ that offers mercy and forgiveness for us each and every day, who offers the strength of his spirit to do what he commands us to do, to offer this hospitality to strangers, to be compassionate to those who are in prison, to be compassionate to those who are in need in all of these ways. And since it's very important today, since the Lord has provided a new elder, let's also remember the grace in growing in our obedience to God the Father through Christ our Lord by the Spirit in our obedience to our elders. Look at verse 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them. These are the leaders who teach you, the word of God. These are the leaders that are shepherded and stewarded ultimately by the great shepherd of the sheep and given as gifts to the church by the great shepherd of the sheep. And so we can be expectant to grow in our obedience to our leaders, in our submission to them, and being reminded 
they're stewarded. They'll be evaluated. And they make it their aim to please Christ because they know they'll stand before the judgment seat of Christ one day in a given account, 2 Corinthians 5, 9, and 10. And here we can be reminded that they're keeping watch over our souls. Jesus Christ has chosen elders, has chosen leaders to give each church. Notice how Paul also says in verse 24, making a distinction between all the saints, the general office of believers, and the special office or ordained office, as we would call it in verse 24. He says, greet all your leaders and all the saints, making a very important distinction that God has granted us leaders to obey. And notice what he goes on to say, let them do this with joy and not groaning because it will be of no help to you. Now there's many ways we could look at this, but I'll tell you one very practical, easy way you can remember this as you're expecting growth in this area. I commend you for where you are in all of this, but here is where we can learn to grow, and it's this. Very simply, it is to our advantage to encourage and pray for and bless those leaders God has given to us who, while not perfect, do two things very visibly for the world. One, make Christ and His glory known through His Word, and number two, are in public submission to other faithful gospel-preaching elders. Those two things, most important, that we would make their lives joyful, because in making their lives joyful, we make our lives joyful. And so, in the ways of growing, using particularly the commands that we have in this passage, we want to continue to be hospitable in our growing, remembering those in prison, uh, remembering those being mistreated, remember the importance of holiness and purity of heart, especially in our marriages, remembering the confidence we have in knowing Jesus is with us and he will never leave us nor forsake us, knowing that he's given us leaders so as to shepherd us and help us as a stewardship from the Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep. So notice, if you will, what we've looked at so far in this benediction. Beloved, I'll begin to read it again. It says, now may the God of peace, who brought again for the dead our Lord Jesus, that God of peace and power, who has made peace with us, we're to be eager peacemakers. Then, our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, may that make us as extravagantly forgiving as God has extravagantly forgiven us. And then third, that expectant growth is because verse 21, you ready? The risen, ascended, enthroned Christ will indeed equip you with everything good that you may do His will. And listen, working in us that which is pleasing in His sight. This is much like Philippians 2, 12, and 13. That we're to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Why is that? Because it's Christ who works in us to will and to do his good pleasure, his eudokia. And 
so we can be those by His grace through this benediction, through meditating on this, through praying this together, we can be those who are eager peacemakers, extravagant forgiving people, extravagantly forgiving people. We can be expectant in our growth. And finally, let's do it through earnest prayer and faith. Because without faith, it is impossible to please God. The faith that God gives is an enduring faith. It's a Christ-fixed faith. It's not a feeling, and it's not fixed on you. It's not introspective, it's extrospective. It looks to Jesus, the author and the perfecter of your faith. The author, the one who authored your faith, and the perfecter, the one who will promise, the one who will indeed perfect your faith. And so we do this um, praying earnestly with faith, for ourselves, starting with ourselves, Jesus said, if we want to see clearly to remove specks from others' eyes, we need to remove the plank or the two-by-four before our own. And you know how it is. You try walking around with a two-by-four in your, in your eyes. If I had a mask on right now and then I asked you to let me get a little speck out of your eye that I see in there, you wouldn't let me near to you because you know I'd do some damage. There's a lot of planks, a lot of two-by-fours and masks cause us to be unable to see. But a beginning is knowing that Christ, by His grace, helps us to see. And so we go to Him through earnest prayer. We go to Him through earnest self-examination and awareness. And we ask Him, Lord Jesus, You've promised to equip me with everything to do Your will, working in us that which is pleasing in Your sight. Help me, Lord Jesus, to see clearly. And you know what I find? Beloved, keeping with this theme, as I find that oftentimes when I've gone with self-awareness and been humbled by the Lord Jesus, been forgiven by His grace, I take the mask away. It's gone for a moment anyway. And, and there's no more two by four. There's no more plank. And I look into the brother's eye. My sister's eye. Guess what? I don't see anything there. I wonder. Was it just a reflection of my plank? We want to pray. And notice. Beloved. Don't forget this last part. Of this benediction. That it's through Jesus Christ. Now why is that so important? Because Jesus is God's spirit filled, anointed, chosen, appointed mediator, priest king, whom he's enthroned at his right hand to be the one we can boldly come through and who lives by the power of an indestructible life and who lives to pray for us that our faith won't fail us. He lives to pray for us that our faith won't fail us. Through Jesus Christ is reminding us that Christ is our mediator. And that's a glorious truth that this all can be possible through Jesus Christ. This all can be possible through Jesus Christ. Acacia Reformed can be more than a mission work. It can become a particular congregation of the Orthodox Presbyterian Church. It can become a strong oak of God's planting, deeply rooted in Manassas, growing strong to the glory of God into the heavens, to cover and give shade to sinners because of the mediation of Jesus. Jesus is storming the gates of hell. Jesus is continuing the work of binding the strong man. 
And he does so through love, gentleness, humility. He does so through peacemaking. He does so through forgiveness. He does so through expectant growth by faith and prayer. And he does so because he's king. And ultimately, he's going to get the glory forever and ever. Amen. He's going to get the glory forever and ever because none of this would be possible. I always remind myself when we're church planning, I'm not trying to be cynical here. I'm just trying to be realistic. And here's the truth. Where two or more are gathered in Jesus' name, there is the potential of a strong, deep-rooted oak of God's planting. And at the same time, Similustus et peccator, remember? It's more the et peccator part. And where two more gather in his name, there's the potential of unforgiveness and bitterness and destruction and division. And there goes another. mission work and we all wonder hmm why so this benediction beloved is for us today for this new chapter for us to remember these truths to meditate on them to pray about them to see where it is maybe we need to remove plank to see clearly perhaps it's a place where today we remember this is for God's glory and I want to be a part of that Beloved Acacia Reformed, you're already living a life of brotherly love. We pray for you with thanksgiving all over the presbytery, all over the church, knowing that you have a labor of love, knowing that you have this enduring hope, and knowing that your work is faithful to the Lord. What the preacher is saying here in the inspired text, and what I'm highlighting by his grace, is that you continue, 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 continue in that by His grace because He's the King. He's sufficient for all of our needs. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we're so grateful for the Lord Jesus, our priest king, according to the order of Melchizedek. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that we have heard your voice today and that you have spoken to us by your Holy Spirit. We thank you for this benediction, this good word, because you took the bad word upon yourself. You took the wrath of God. You cried out, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, for us and in our place. We deserve eternal destruction. We deserve your wrath. We deserve to be uh, separated from your blessed covenantal sweet presence for all eternity and you have made peace with us through the blood of the lamb you the great god of peace has caused jesus to rise from the dead and you this great shepherd of the sheep has enthroned at your right hand and uh, who has fulfilled the the all of the obedience um, of the of the eternal covenant and he is the one full of the spirit and grace to equip us with everything good to do your will, working in us what is pleasing all for your glory. We pray that the seed that's been sown, you'll water that seed and you'll cause it to flourish. Continue to bless this great church. Continue to bless this mission work. Help them to be uh, consciously, self-consciously biblical and reformed. 
help them to be self-propagating and continuing to welcome the stranger and invite their friends and to evangelize the lost. Help them to be self-governing as you've raised up an elder. Continue to do so by your grace and help them to be the self-sufficient um, uh, financially that you would continue to give uh, new people, uh, new worshipers in spirit and truth, new generous saints who will tithe and who will offer themselves and their offerings to you so that this church can thrive by your grace. We trust you for all that you'll do for your glory because you sat down and you're the King of kings and Lord of lords. We pray in Jesus' name and all the church responded with a resounding amen.